Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I have the news and Q&As as usual, plus a new section later on that I'd like to try out. So uh, let's just jump right in and get it started. First up, Voltar just posted another repair video where he took a SNES Mini from eBay and demonstrated how to fix some of the bad mod work and remove hot glue, which was actually something he'd posted on Twitter a while back, but trying to find that in Twitter feed is pretty impossible, so I'm glad he chronicled it in an actual YouTube video this time. And uh, I mean, I really like these repair videos, not because I think it's fun to, to showcase bad mod work, I really don't. Um, it's because I, I really like the repair tips. So, you know, things on how to desolder from a multi-out, we could all figure out, but the whole, you know, how to remove hot glue properly so you don't risk pulling up a trace or anything, you know, the better way to run wires so there's less chance of interference. I really like that, and I really feel like it's tips like that that help people who are starting out modding. So uh, if you guys are into this stuff at all, definitely give it a, a watch, and especially the part about the proper way to remove hot glue, because if you just rip it out, um, it could either be a mess or you might even actually damage traces. Next, Badass Consoles posted a picture of what the manufacturing process is going to look like for his GC Video X, and uh, he showed a picture with a part that shows how the, the different pins are getting shaped and then stamped. Which I always love stuff like this. It's almost like that show, How Is It Made, on the Science Channel. Uh, you know, I like to see to see things as they're being created. But he's making progress on it. He should get first prototypes relatively soon. Um, and then, of course, those have to be fit and function tested. And then once those are, are approved and everything goes through, then the, the final round will uh, of the first round of real production will hit. So um, I spoke to him. It looks like, uh, you know, his house wasn't damaged too badly in the hurricane. So, uh, you know, happy for him and his family. Also happy for all of us nerds that are looking forward to getting the GC Video X. Uh, doesn't look like that's going to that's gonna slow anything down at all. So, you know, progress is slow but steady. But it looks like we'll be getting the GC Video uh, X, you know, sooner rather than later at this point. Next, Saint from Retro HQ just posted another video about the JAG SD, and this one actually shows it in action and shows it booting a game. So hopefully we're not too far away from pre-orders being opened up for that. Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, is coming to the Nintendo Switch next year. And uh, I just thought it's cool because it's a throwback. You know, I do love the original Wolfenstein. But I actually wanted to ask you guys, I've never played the newer Wolfenstein games. Um, you know, the original was such an iconic game because it was one of the first first-person shooters. And, you know, it just... Uh, it, the whole premise of it was dark and cool and do any of the new ones hold up to that or is it just lost in the other first person shooters that are out there these days and i don't mean that as an insult it's just a, an honest question you know is it still as unique and awesome as the original or does it just feel like a, a decent game but let me know down in the comments 
The Switch voice chat app was just updated, and it included a few bug fixes as well as one pretty big fix where if your phone goes to sleep, you won't get your chat and your game cut off, which seems pretty asinine that they launched it like that anyway. But uh, I've never tried it, so uh, if anybody is using the Switch voice app, um, you know, it seems like a worthy upgrade. I'm not sure if this next one's true or not, so take this with a grain of salt. But a few pictures of supposed Sega Saturn prototypes have surfaced online, and I personally haven't seen either of them before, although supposedly the, the second and smaller one has been floating around for a while. And you never know if things like this are hoaxes or if they really were prototypes, but it certainly is plausible that they were, because Sega definitely tried a whole bunch of different designs uh, across the years for especially the Saturn, and I think, you know, the, the old Neptune design pictures were floating around. So, uh, you know, if it's real, it's kind of a neat thing, and I hope somebody actually gets their hands on one to try. Uh, and if not, then I guess I got fooled, and I'm sorry. <laughs> 8-Bit Do just released an updated firmware for all of their controllers that reduces the lag when playing with the Nintendo Switch. And I updated and tried playing Sonic Mania with it, and it seemed fine. Um, it was a little strange playing Sonic with a SNES controller, so hopefully they come out with a Genesis one someday. But overall, it seemed okay. Uh, it certainly didn't seem any worse than the better or worse than the regular Switch controller. So if anybody is using one of these, definitely seems like a smart thing to update, especially when the company themselves said that they've been working on an improved lag. And speaking of 8-bit do, their SNES 30 Pro controller is just up for pre-order on Amazon for $50. And this is essentially their SNES controller, but with the buttons and the D-pad moved up slightly to make room for two analog sticks down below. And it looks like it would be pretty cool. It looks like it would be just as comfortable as the regular SNES controller. But I'm really looking forward to trying it myself just to see, you know, do moving the buttons and the D-pad just that little bit change the way it feels. Uh, and overall, I mean, you know, $50 for a replacement Switch controller when the Switch Pro controllers themselves are more expensive seems like a great deal. So when it's released, I'll definitely give it a try and let everybody know what I think. Woozle's continuing to make progress on his Game Boy Advance HDMI board, and it looks like he added even more menu options for different color palettes and stuff, as well as support for the retro receiver. So that's the, the SNES Bluetooth receiver that allows you to play the SNES 30 controller or pretty much any Bluetooth controller on a SNES, and now his HDMI kit. So uh, anytime there's any major updates, I'll definitely keep everyone posted, and hopefully we'll be able to buy this thing pretty soon. It looks like there's another update to the VeraSNES project. Another long video was posted showing it in action and describing some of the things that he's been working on, and uh, it's looking great. And I really hope that we're able to find some way to purchase it soon. Uh, I'm not really sure how. I haven't spoken to him in a while. So hopefully he's, uh, he's been thinking about it and trying to figure out the best way to go about releasing it to the public. But I would very, very happily pay a pretty penny for an FPGA SNES that's you know fully accurate and outputs HDMI. So I'll keep everybody posted as soon as there's any solid news. It looks like the OSSC version 1.6 is starting to ship. I guess a bunch of people have gotten ship notifications already, and uh, I haven't gotten mine, but hopefully I'll be able to get my hands on one pretty soon and do a, a quick review. I'd already done extensive testing on the original open source scan converter, but just having the HDMI output and some of the extra audio options would definitely be a help. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to getting mine, and I'll do a video as soon as it gets in.
Citrus 3000 PSI has just uploaded a video showing his Wii HDMI board in progress. And I'm really excited for this because there's just a great library of Wii games that I personally would prefer to play on a flat screen, which I know is a little crazy coming from me, and especially because I have that big-ass D32 sitting behind me. But I just, I think in my personal opinion, you know, there's not a right or wrong on this, the games with a more modern feel look, look a little better and feel a little better on a big flat screen, whereas the games with more of a retro feel uh, would be better to play on a CRT. That's just my opinion, though. There's no right or wrong way to do it, and either way, I'm excited to try it out when it's finally released. Dan also just showed a picture of his external GC video solution using a 3D printed connector designed by Greg Collins, and this is the one where the pins have their each individual settings inside of them and fits snugly inside the actual GameCube port. So, uh, you know, lots of great progress coming from Dan. I can't wait to see a lot of these things in action. And, you know, anytime there's more options for anything, everybody wins. So, great work. The game Hive Jump is finally getting a release on the Wii U September 28th. And it's very strange to talk about Wii U release dates now, because I assumed that was uh, long dead since the Switch was released. But I guess there's still new stuff coming out for it. And as far as the Hive Jump project, I actually thought that it pretty much died out until I realized I just wasn't getting email updates. <laughs> They've actually uh, posted regular updates for people, and for whatever reason, they just stopped coming to my inbox. So uh, sorry if I missed any other Hive Jump news, but anybody that wants it, uh, September 28th on the Wii U. Pre-orders are now live for the physical release of the Wonder Boy the Dragon's Trap Switch version. It's $34 from PlayAsia, and it supposedly ships November 23rd. So I'm pretty excited, because uh, I had actually bought Ray Kamen's copy of Wonder Boy for the PS4, um, but I'm probably going to sell that and get this instead, just because uh, I'd rather have the Switch version. I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, anybody that's interested, just pre-order from PlayAsia, and it should arrive sometime in November or December. Sega Sonic Fan has posted two new PCBs for sale, and while I haven't tested them at all, they looked cool enough to report, so I figured I'd let you guys know and maybe you'd be interested. Uh, but the first is a converter that allows you to use a Genesis controller on a Master System and add the Start button, which requires an internal modification as well as this. And then the next is another multi-use board that does things like overclocking and uh, region switching, I believe. So uh, anybody that's a Master System fan that's looking for some cool hardware upgrades, maybe give these a shot and let me know if they work for you. Hackers have been going through the Nintendo Switch and seem to have found a ROM of Nintendo Golf in there. So it looks like they found proof that there is a NES emulator on the Switch. Uh, and while Nintendo hasn't really given much more details about it, I guess that means we could expect Nintendo games on there eventually. And I'm still really curious to see how they're going to do this with the release of the SNES Classic, the re-release of the NES Classic, and uh, virtual console games. I'm wondering if they're going to interfere with each other at all, and if Nintendo is trying to do anything marketing-wise to combat that. So uh, at least the hackers know it's in there, and maybe we'll eventually see some. Last week I posted a video of different ways to get Sonic Mania running on CRTs, and I thought it was just kind of a fun demonstration. I imagine a lot of the, the nerdy nerds like me who watch this probably already understood how to do that, 
But I just thought it was a fun thing, and even if you were already familiar with it, maybe it was just cool to, to check out different ways you hadn't seen before. But anybody that's interested in playing Sonic Mania on a CRT, definitely check it out. And one of the things that I didn't test that I keep meaning to is a bunch of people have tell been telling me how they run games at 640 by 480 but at 120 hertz and it generates the same effect almost as a 240p so you get the big thick scan lines and it's razor sharp so i haven't tested that at all and i might even be saying it wrong but that's definitely next on the list because that looks really awesome and i hope to get a video of that up soon because that would mean that people could get almost exactly a sony pvm or bvm look on just a really nice high quality vga monitor so hopefully that'll be one of the next ones I work on. I have such a long list of videos I want to do, and I just, uh, I'm trying to get to them in either the order of most important, in my opinion, or time sensitive. So hopefully I'll have enough time to, to just tackle all of these and, and get them out for everybody. And one last fun thing I just wanted to share. Mateus, the same person that did the full motion video Sonic Mania opening, did one for my opening. And I thought it was just absolutely killer, because to see my opening of my weekly podcast and pretty much all the special features, the awesome opening that Kenji did for me last year, seeing that in 240p on an RGB monitor in like the real look of what an FMV for the Genesis and Sega CD would look like absolutely blew my mind. So thank you so much to Mateus for making that for me. That was so cool, and uh, I, I like showing that off when people come over. So <laughs> thank you very much, man. That was really awesome. Up next, I want to try something a bit new. So Smoke Monster has been sending me some amazing links pretty much since we first started talking to each other, and he always finds stuff about ROM hacks and, and different projects that I just would never be even stumble over, really. So I wanted to start a section called Smoke Monsters Corner, or something better if anybody could think of a better name for it. And I didn't know how to go about it, because I certainly didn't want to force him to do a whole bunch of work or anything. So, you know, I kind of talked to him and said, hey, you know, if you're all right with this, maybe we just set up a shared Google Doc and, you know, we dump everything ROM related into it and you just type your thoughts real quick and I'll just spit through them weekly. Or maybe you come on and actually do videos about it, or maybe a little bit of both, and maybe we only have you on to talk about the special stuff. So uh, he went for it, and he recorded a bunch of cool videos, and I'm really not sure the best way to go about it. So I was hoping to get your guys' opinion on this, because, uh, you know, I'm respectful of people's time. It's certainly not easy or quick to make videos or anything. So um, is it something you guys want to see weekly? Should I just have him dump a bunch of links and me just spit out the news real quick without too much explanation? Uh, do you want to see more of Smoke Monster on here? Um, do we do it monthly and save all the really cool ROM talk for the monthly one? Basically, you know, as always, we want to provide you guys whatever it is that, that you want. So uh, here is Smoke Monster with a bunch of ROM updates, and I'll finish it off after he's done. Hey, everybody. It's Smoke Monster's Corner. Uh, Bob asked me to do this little segment, probably because he got so sick of my getting so many emails from me with news updates. He asked me just to cover everything. So here I am, and... Uh, I apologize for any background music today. It's raining here in Brazil, as maybe you can see. But uh, I'll do my best to get through some of the cool stuff that's been going on lately. And let us know below in the comments if you want to see this keep going or not. Otherwise, I can just keep sending some updates and have Bob go through them at the end of the weekly news. But here we go. 
Okay, so first up is Project Peacock, which is uh, something I've been thinking about for a couple years now, and I spent the last month finishing it up. What it is is a collection of every single shoot 'em up on the PC Engine uh, platform. So that includes PC Engine, TurboGrafx-16, SuperGrafx, PC Engine CD, and all of the variants like uh, Super CD-ROM to arcade card CDs and um, and the Turbo Duo. And uh, the name comes from a really old thread over at the PC Engine FX forums, uh, codename Peacock, where for about 10 years uh, people have been documenting all of the games on the PC Engine that are shooters or that contain shoot 'em up elements. So some games have mini games uh, or Easter eggs hidden in them or certain levels that are shoot 'em ups. But uh, I released that over at the EP forums, and uh, I can't put a direct link, but it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, and maybe I'll pull it up now. I've got it here on my Turbo Express, the uh, PC Engine TurboGrafx-16 stuff. Uh, the CD stuff is about 25.7 gigabytes of CDs. And as Bob covered in the news last week, uh, the Sega VGM ROM music project uh, got a big update. That's a preservation project that I run uh, with the goal of honoring the great Sega music composers uh, with a custom ROM showcasing their work. So we create the ROMs using Deadfish's VGM player, uh, which basically gives you an actual ROM that works as a music test for any game. So a lot of games don't have a music test, or a lot of games uh, the music is better than the game, so all you want is the music. And uh, the Deadfish player lets you create a custom little player that'll run on real hardware. So you can turn your Nomad into like a little beatbox, or you can just stream the music in your Genesis and hear it the way that it's supposed to be played. I'll just pull one up here. I've got it loading through my Mega Everdrive. This is Streets of Rage 2. And basically each ROM loads up with a track name, the composer, and the year. And then you've got some controls for uh, restarting it. Just pretty simple, but pretty cool. So pull up uh, Ghost Straight. You can see, uh, you put some headphones on and your Nomad will sound pretty excellent, especially if you've recapped it. So here are the GameSack submissions, uh, quite a few of them. Really nice collection that he's been putting together. It looks like he's been doing this over a few years now, so I'm really happy that he sent it in. Uh, and here's the release page. Uh, this is all over at the Sega, six, Sega 16 forums. Uh, you can find this. And I welcome anyone to submit a player. They're extremely easy to make, and I've got instructions up here on how to do it. Uh, basically, you can turn your favorite game into a little music player. So here's the current list of everything we have as of uh, September 4th. Some really great music in here. Uh, Force. Here's the new Sega Master System collection, which was 100% created by Joe. And then there's some extra stuff too, like uh, El Oliveira has been kind of converting arcade music that plays on some similar sound chips over to the Genesis. Those are pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so, oh, and in the future we might get an update to the VGM ROM player. I'm in talks with um, 
the developer and in 2015 he started working on a version that could have um, some basic cover art in the background which would be kind of cool and uh, I thought he'd given up on that but I actually got a nice email from him the other day that he might pick back up work on that and get a version that supports like 15 colors and uh, more like this top screenshot uh, with some art on the bottom. So look forward to that and send me your players. And Mateos, who's the developer who's brought us all of the cool FMV Sega Genesis intros lately, uh, just posted some previews of his Mega Dracula homebrew, uh, which is in development. Uh, he's got some really cool updates. Uh, hopefully we'll see a version that we can purchase uh, sometime, maybe on a real cart. That'd be really cool. It's kind of a first-person dungeon crawler RPG type game with incredible music and some great visuals. It's got some really nice uh, pixel art. I don't know if he's creating these or if he's paying someone to do this, but it looks stellar. Nice polished monsters. Yeah, so hopefully we'll uh, see this come up. So, for some slightly depressing news, the Xbox Live Indie Games will be shutting down on this September 29th. So, it was originally called uh, the Xbox Live Community Games, uh, launched in 2008, and it allowed indie developers to release uh, XNA-based games on the Xbox Live platform. And it was renamed the Xbox Live Indie Games in 2010 and made a separate entity from uh, Xbox Live. Uh, it started showing up under the specialty shop section of your Xbox dashboard. There were at least 3,406 games released there, uh, and it became kind of infamous for the quantity of low quality and smutty games. But there are actually quite a few masterpieces amongst them uh, that could be lost to time if you don't go by them soon. Uh, I'll go through a list of some of my favorite games uh, that I recommend. Uh, Eternum, Bad Caterpillar, Beat Hazard and Beat Hazard Ultra, Crescendo Symphony, Death Goat, Escape Goat, Explosion Aid, Every Other Shooter, Fist Puncher, Heavy Recoil, Hypership Out of Control, Hypership Still Out of Control, Mega Shooter 11, Platformance Castle Pain, and Platformance Castle Temple Death, Revolver 360, Saison Renda, Shoot Shimi, Slick, Snops Attack Zombie Defense, Space Giraffe, Squid Yes, Not So Octopus, Wizorb, and uh, the incredible Shoot One Up. Uh, Many of these games are exclusive to uh, Xbox Live Indie games. And uh, the images that I showed are um, there are all custom covers that I've made for the Unity service, which you can access through Aurora if you have a modified Xbox 360. I've actually put up 347 covers there through the years, mostly for indie games that had either missing covers, or really low-res covers, which is another thing that the the indie games platform is famous for. Uh, the covers don't really make you want to play the games at all, and they don't they don't show much of the game 
art on the back of them or anything like that. But they most of the games cost about one to two dollars, so you need to go scramble and buy them before it's too late. So I've started a thread over at the Shmups forum asking people to list all of the shoot 'em ups on the Xbox Live Indie Games platform so that we can hopefully get these all purchased before it closes. Uh, we've got 146 of them so far, and I plan to have a cover made for every single one of them on Unity. I think I have about 15 or 20 left to do, just the new ones that have come in. Uh, people have done a really good job s submitting them. You can't just search for shoot 'em ups or shooters on the platform because people haven't done a really good job of categorizing their games uh, on the indie. Um, Xbox Live Indie Games, so a lot of them you have to just go through one by one and find them, and uh, if we don't find them by the 29th, you just won't be able to have them, so if you know of any that are on this list, please uh, make a comment and I'll get them added. So with 146 shoot 'em ups that's 50% more than the entire PC Engine library, just to give you an idea of how much is out there. And I'm convinced that there's still at least a couple dozen games left. There's also quite quite a few Japanese games that are kind of harder to search for. So we need to act quickly and get these documented so that we can all purchase them. Another really cool recent release is the Surgical Strike 32X CD, uh, which there are two known copies of, and Video Game Database, uh, Brazilian website, got a hold of one and ripped it and they released two images of it for free that you can burn either an ISO or a bin and Q and uh, since there's no protection on a Sega CD you can just burn that to a CD and try it for yourself uh, they're also selling uh, what looks like a really nice uh, reissue of it for 60 bucks uh, which isn't bad at all and uh, they put up a video showing how great it looks on YouTube uh, Definitely something cool to check out. So last week Bob teased the uh, new Sega Saturn Rhea and Phoebe pack by Arithmaldor, which has basically an entire set for the US Saturn uh, converted to a format that will just work on the Rhea or Phoebe. Mildor came up with a good system for convert, taking the ROM, converting it to the right format, <clears throat> and then testing it on his actual Saturn setup. So we've got a full US setup uh, ready, and it also contains a bunch of fan translations and the Japanese games that are playable in English for now. And in the future, uh, he'll do like a Japanese shoot 'em ups pack, kind of add on, and that kind of stuff. It's a little outside of the realm of possibility for him to do a full Japanese set just because it's so huge, uh, dwarfs the US pack. And as you can see, he's written up a really good set of instructions for getting it onto your card and setting everything up for the RIA. Um, yeah, so cheers to Arithmador for putting that together for us. Okay, I'm going to wrap up the Smoke Monster Corner with some Everdrive pack news, uh, which is what people most associate me with. Uh, a couple months ago, I took on two official team members, so it's not just me doing this anymore. I have Game1213, who's my official patcher person, and he's going to keep an eye on ROMHacking.net and give us all of the new 
hacks and translations. I also made uh, my old friend TJ Stogie, uh, the game series collections director. He's done game series collections for about a year, which is my favorite part of the EverDrive packs, actually. So he basically creates a library where you go in and you have games sorted in different ways. So if you want to know what are all of the shoot-em-ups on the Game Boy Color, you go into the Game Boy Color uh, game series collections and he's got them all there. And he's spent, he must have spent hundreds of hours by now doing these and they're just fantastic. They're extremely thorough. So if he's going to do the platformers for the Game Boy or Game Boy Advance, it's going to have 200 games in there. It's going to have every single one. Uh, he does really good research. Uh, he also released recently a huge Game Boy, Game Boy Color collections. That was a couple weeks ago. Along with Game Boy Advance. Uh, these were major projects that he spent months on. So we're really lucky to have him uh, releasing these. They keep everything fresh, organized, and they make browsing the EverDrive libraries, which have thousands of games in them, they make it way easier because if you don't know the game you're looking for, if you just want know you want to play a platformer right now, or you want to play, you want to look for a new platformer or a new puzzle game, you know, a new vertical scrolling uh, shoot 'em up or horizontal, he has them all separated, and you can just go in and uh, start playing around. Um, my knowledge of uh, these platforms has increased tenfold since I started using his collection, so it's a really good way to get to know a library that you're not completely familiar with. Uh, he's TJ Stogie has also done, he recently launched the EverDrive Game Gear collections, and he did two really big updates recently. One was the Super EverDrive collections and SD2, SNS and the Mega EverDrive. And the Mega EverDrive update uh, is in preparation for my version 6.0, which is going to be released on Halloween night. I did last week a huge EverDrive GBA and Easy Flash 4 update to get it up to 2.1, and that was to uh, just commemorate the fact that TJ Stogie released a game series collection for it. So uh, that's all for this week, and uh, thanks a lot to Bob for giving me the opportunity to uh, to hog some time at the end of his weekly news. Uh, I love his news, and uh, it's cool to be a part of this. So, and oh, and go back his uh, Indiegogo campaign now. I I did it, and so should you. And you should go tell everyone you know to do it. And if you're a YouTuber. Uh, post some videos for him because this will benefit you in the long run. He's going to have information about video capture, RGB, you know, all of these kind of things that you're interested in. So please support him, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, I'm going to be on the forums, so uh, yeah, you can go bother me there if you want. Uh, so take care. And there was just a few more that came in after Smoke Monster did his videos. First is Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the PlayStation has what they're calling a quality hack, which seems like some of the other quality improvement hacks that I've seen for other games, where there's nothing that changes the core gameplay, it's just things that improve on little annoyances that people have found over the years. Like I played all of the um, uh, Link's Awakening with all of the quality patches applied, and I, I absolutely loved it. So this has the same thing. Um, 
And uh, it really just looks like something I would like to try when I play through the game, because many improvements, like updated the tile maps of all locations to increase the visible area, unlocked and finalized rooms under the hatch. So, you know, little things that seemed like they made sense to me. And uh, thanks to Mtoad for passing the link. A new Donkey Kong Country hack was just released. It's called Donkey Kong Country Kremlings Revenge Remodel. So I guess the original Revenge was out in 2012, and this one just improves on the base work and has graphics on new graphics on every level, new design for some, and uh, a bunch of other cool features. So it's been a while since I've played through any Donkey Kong Country game, so I might want to just give this one a try. Uh, it seems pretty cool. The fan hack Goldfinger 64, a GoldenEye ROM hack, was just released. And I guess this is one that uh, people have been talking about for a while. I think a lot of work went into this, and uh, it's you know kind of been talked about, but now it's finally released. So uh, if you have an N64 ROM cart and you like GoldenEye, it seems like a worthy thing to try out. Okay, on to the Q&As. First up, Pablo Romero asked, What can you do about flickering on 480i only games? One solution would be an upscaler to convert to 480p and use an LCD, but is there anything you could do on a consumer CRT? So I've found that sometimes you could use an Extron RXI box and uh, flip the switch, and it doesn't quite deinterlace it, but it almost makes it look 240p. And, I mean, it's not bad. It's not a huge difference. But as far as on CRTs go, I really don't think there's a, an easy way to do that. Um, I think you could probably try to use an upscaler to make it 480p, uh, but then you'd obviously have to have a CRT that was compatible with it. But overall, on CRTs, you know, you're pretty much stuck with 480i as is. Um, if anybody else knows a better solution, please post down below. But I, I think really just using a, a decent converter to make it 480p and then running it on either a VGA monitor or a compatible RGB monitor would be the only way to, to really improve it. A few people posted in regards to separating the interviews from the weekly roundup. Um, and while most felt it was good to separate them, there were a few people that wanted to, still wanted them combined, but, you know, sorry, the heavy majority rules in this one. But Rasmus Epsit had a good suggestion in regards to one of my concerns, and he suggested that at the end of every roundup, just mention what interviews I've done and explain a little bit about that person in that interview. And that way, if you don't recognize somebody by name, but then you listen to the weekly roundup and hear about it, maybe you would then be more interested to go listen to that person or not. So I think that's a good idea. That's a good way of keeping everybody in the loop. And, uh, you know, hopefully I could use... Because, you know, the interviews or really half and half, you know? Part of it is because I really want to talk to some of these developers or, or guys that have become friends, and I just feel like uh, it's a cool conversation that people might enjoy. But at the other hand, I really do want to help promote a lot of these guys' projects. You know, like um, Professor Abrasive off the top of my head. There, there's a, a bunch, but you know, there's a good chance maybe you didn't know about him or what he was doing, and after the interview, anybody that's even remotely interested in Saturn, I bet, went and supported him because, you know, he's obviously a good dude working on a cool project. So that's the type of stuff I definitely want to keep up and try to help, uh, help people promote their work. That and just give people recognition for, you know, the awesome work that they've already put in. So it's a good suggestion, and, uh, you know, let's just hope to support people uh, doing work in the industry by watching their interviews and 
you know, I guess reaching out as part of the community. So thanks for the suggestion, and uh, thanks for everybody else who posted their thoughts on that. Next, Temjerk posted in regards to the Gata Protectors Tower Defense Scheme question from last week. He said that the new release is a promotional NES spinoff of the 3DS release. So I guess it is made by the original developers, but it's just like a promotional thing to, you know, just released as a NES ROM. Uh, which sounds freaking awesome. I love that idea. So thanks to Temjerk for letting me know, and uh, very cool of the team who made the game to do that. And lastly, two questions from Curtis Zinger. The first is, if he's using the first-party component breakout box for the original Xbox and wants to connect the signal to a modern 4K TV, what's the best option if there's no component input on the TV? Um, Well, I would suggest the open-source scan converter, because the OSSC is really an awesome analog to digital converter, even if you just use it as a pass-through. But there's also the chance that your display might be compatible with 480p times 2 mode, so 960p. Um, And if that's the case, it's going to look awesome. Uh, You know, that way you really get the sharper, upscaled look, and then let the TV do the scaling from there. So depending on your TV, the compatibility, how the TV scaler works, um, you know, I would try the 480p X2 mode, but my suggestion is always going to be the open source scan converter. You know, you get to support the community, you have an awesome device. If you really were just looking for a cheap solution, just grab any component to HDMI, just the cheapest thing you could find on Amazon. And it's hit or miss on whether the one you get will be good or not, but for like 15 bucks, you know, buy that for now, save up for the OSSC. Um, and the second question is, uh, on a similar note, his OLED TV has an odd component to 35 millimeter adapter. He said it seems like this would result in a loss of quality, because there's one tiny little wire going instead of three separate. Um, do you think there's actually video quality loss? So I have the exact same thing on my OLED TV, and I just haven't had time to test it yet. But there's a chance that there won't be, because that the cable is very short. So obviously you want thick shielded wires for all of your connections, but for something that short, you might not have a quality loss. I don't know if there's enough um, if there's enough length in it for it to act as an antenna and create interference. But uh, you know, for stuff like that, better safe than sorry. I personally would rather put component through my OSSC into the HDMI port than use that input. But Uh, I'll try eventually. I really want to try all the different solutions uh, on that TV and do a video about it because it is a very cool TV. But great questions, and I hope I answered them pretty decently. All right, well, that about sums it up for this week. Uh, Really looking forward to see what you guys think about this. Uh, What about Smoke Monsters Corner? Do you want that every week? How do you want it done? Uh, What's your thoughts on everything else? always love reading the comments from you guys and uh you know i'm just gonna try to keep this up and try to make this better and evolve evolve the weekly podcast with what the community is looking for really so um you know post your thoughts down below i'm looking forward to reading them and i'll see you guys next time